You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel back from the Bears. Also, took early. Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, Turf Show Time listeners. This is your boy, Fight On Twist, coming back to you here in the new year, 2017. Once again, though, with my favorite pinch hitter for Turf Show Time's radio, Mr. Mighty Andor Mycin, Mycin the Deosaur. How you doing, Mycin, man? Joe couldn't make it tonight, but you could, and that's what matters, right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always willing to step in whenever Joe got something going on, you know. So good to be back. It's been a few weeks. Uh got a lot got a lot of things that's kind of happened over the last couple of weeks, you know. So it I should be a pretty good interesting segment. Like he would have to he, he would have had to have been positive and, and I don't think he's ready or able to do that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. According <laughs> to enough of our readership. So, <laughs> hey, apparently, I, hey, I'm apparently according to a couple of readers, I have crossed over into the the Joe Mister Negative ship. So I've, I've reached new heights. You know, I feel like a celebrity now. You know, people compare me to Joe. <laughs> I've I've made it. <laughs> hey, I had one person mock uh, mockingly say hashtag too negative, but then he was like, "Sorry, I had to." LOL. And I was like, "Well, that just cheapened the experience." Like, yeah, I got no sorries. They mean it from the bottom of their heart. <laughs> well, for me to decide if you were joking or not, like, I feel like I'm left out of a fraternity uh, on my own site. I'm I'm not a member of the. <laughs> Of the uh, two negative, what would they call that? Tau New House, two negative Tau New. If I remember my yeah. right, I used to have to do that shit with a match test, light a match, hold it upside down, and then get through the Greek alphabet before you burned your finger. You know, I never pledged because I didn't want to do stupid stuff like this. So. <laughs> really lucky, man. My uh, when we very first signed up, when we first got in, the very first meeting, when when you know you find out that oh, because they'll tell you, you know, when you go to the meetings, the dance was always we don't haze, we don't haze, we don't haze. But when you get your bid, you know, there's a much different meeting that takes place where you find out what's what. <laughs> But, uh, you know, our fraternity guys stepped forward and were like, all right, so here's the deal. Like, you will never be asked to do anything homosexual or naked. And if any member ever does ask you to do that, you come straight to us and we will handle it. Like, but first, like, if nobody should ever ask you to do that. And once I heard that, 
I was kind of okay with the rest of it. You know, because the rest of it's just whatever. Like we had we had a night called P night. I'll leave you to decide what the P stood for, but we had to <laughs> a mile and when we got to a stop, we got our choice of of, of cup. Uh they were both clear liquids, but both very different clear liquids. Uh and uh we also had to answer trivia questions when we got there. And if we didn't answer them in enough time, we had to drink from this bottle uh, that of ingredients that we had to go and buy before the night and that they all cram into the bottle, which ours contained like Dave's Inferno sauce. So when you puked it up, like you were puking up Inferno sauce through your sinus and nasal cavities so that sounds yeah. terrible see i just that that explains why i never pushed <laughs> plus, plus i didn't plus i didn't really want to spend a bunch of money for a group of friends <laughs> so. we say that but 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 in truth you get back way more than you spend because you go and, and see a lot of cool things because it's covered now that you've paid your dues. It's all covered, so you get to go and you get to do a lot of cool things. And I have stories that, honestly, I wouldn't trade for the world, man. Like, they, they were some hilarious things that happened during my time in a fraternity and – I can understand that it's definitely not for everyone, but nights like that were like one night a week and then they'd go easy on you the next week. Like it was never even hell week was well, never really for me for me it was different because like I was in I was basically in a fraternity because I played football. So what bigger brotherhood is there than like a sports team, <laughs> you know? So it was that's true. But, hey, even at the collegiate level, most of those guys join one one of the sports fraternities. Like at USC, I think it's Pi Five. I can't quite remember. I'll probably get corrected. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have some tremendously hilarious stories. Like the time we all got stuck in an elevator and one of our now city councilmen was, like, panicking and screaming, Guys, we have approximately eight minutes of air left and i'm like dude <laughs> elevator just got working man like what the fuck are you talking about we have eight minutes of the air left like and this yeah we're gonna was, we're gonna have to talk about this story is some depth off air because i feel like yeah. there's more to it <laughs> and i've got some like the time we had to steal our own car and i two shade like i used my brain uh uh, uh, I like I. The, my fraternity brothers told when when they took the keys to Bob's car, it was it was it was left like they called Bob and Jameson, and and they told Bob that Bob couldn't come get the car unless we did all these things, and we, and we we ran and we did a whole bunch of these things, and they kept saying and they kept calling, and finally it dawned on me. I'm like, well, we got to, because there were like two last things that we were going to have to go and get. And these are definitely off air subjects. I ain't talking about them on air, but there were two last <laughs> things. We had to go and get, and I'm like, I'm not getting these. So I had to figure out a way out of it. And then it occurred to me that every time they called, they called Bob and told Bob that they could, that he couldn't come get the car. 
He didn't say anything about Jameson or myself. So Bob drops me off. I steal the car in Spanish. Eric, uh, Spanish is his nickname. Spanish calls me, and he's, uh, hey, you know, why'd you guys come get that car? You know you're in a heap of trouble, right? And I'm all, no, we're, no, we're good, dude. We followed your instructions, and he's all, what? I told Bob he couldn't come get the car unless you guys brought me X. What and why? And and I said, You're right, you did. And so Bob didn't come get the car. I did. Cause you never said anything about me or Jameson. And all you see the Spanish on the other line go is touche, click. Like and that pissed them off too. Like they got outsmarted by a pledge. Like they didn't take kindly to that, I found out when I was an active. I thought I thought it was all funny and I later found out from the vice and he was like, man, you pissed me off so much that night because you got one over on us. And I was like, this is smarter than all of us. And I was like, well, to be fair, I kind of am. Like, hey, you, you look, you're lucky they didn't make your life hell. <laughs> oh, man, they did. They did. They did. We, I had hell week. They took my shoes, man. And they made me take out my septum ring, which I guess in the long run, that's probably not the worst one because I had that stretched out. But like they took my the dude that's the councilman here in Bakersfield, he took my shoes because he hated the color pink and black. And I just bought brand new Vans and he made me give them up. And I was really like, he was a dick. He was a dick. I still hate that dude this to this day. Greg White. I don't care. <laughs> oh. Just throw him out there like that. Let <laughs> me give up my shoes, dude. He's a dick. Anyhow, man, enough fraternity stories. Let's get to the fraternity of football and the latest with the Ramley News. And fans yes. have hired themselves an and head coach and an offensive coordinator. Former. Washington offensive coordinator Sean McVay is your brand new head coach, heralded by everyone around the league as a genius and uh, a guy yep. that is born to do this. Uh, and a man who really needs no introduction, a man whose defense won a Super Bowl not even a year ago. Uh, Mr. Wade Phillips uh, has agreed and signed, has a contract, is officially the defensive coordinator for your Los Angeles Rams in what could be considered possibly to be an upgrade. I mean, Wade Phillips is known for having some of the toughest defenses in the league. And if you want to keep your key players like Aaron Donald signed and not give them a reason to take off, having a guy like Wade Phillips there is a really strong pull to stay because you don't get coaching like that too often, eh, Myson? Uh, yes and no, actually. I would say yes and no. I agree with you that you don't get coaching like that too often. But if you if you recall... Wade Phillips loves to run the 3-4, and this defense is full of 4-3. And according to Sean McVay, Aaron Donald's first question was, 
what am I going to play? <laughs> you know, so Sean McVay said that he assured him that had cleared up those issues by saying, that yeah, Phillips three, four is kind of a four, three in disguise. Right. The, so, yeah, and that's what he said. He said he told him it was flexible to where he said, no matter what, you're going to be a three tech, you know, but it goes to show that no matter how good the coach is, if the player doesn't feel like they're going to be comfortable in your scheme, they're not going to always be comfortable to stick sure. around. Because it, it sounds like his thoughts was, I don't know how this is going to work. And then Sean McVay had to go in and try to clear things up for him. Sure, but it, let's let's assume this thing goes right and Aaron Donald has an even better year than he did last year under Wade Phillips. Yeah. All questions will be answered and, and, and you know, he'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, this works. This definitely works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I think I think that in that sense, sure, right now, Phil, I think a lot of people are going to have questions. I would say it's even fair to say that the fans could feel optimistic about a guy like Sean McVay, but also tenuous because he's the youngest head coach in NFL history. And statistically, historically, that never works, does it? Ever. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the I mean... I wouldn't just I wouldn't just put it on age. Um, just first time coaches most of the time fail. You know, the first time head coaches, they usually fail regardless of the age. Um, you have more failed attempts than you have guys who go in and have success and win would, and Super Bowls and stick around. Not the rule here. Right. Yeah. He would need yeah. to be the exception, yeah, not the rule. Yeah, absolutely. Need him to be that first time head coach and you know, that comes in and gets the job done. <laughs> you know, it's just that simple. And again, I don't think it has so much to do with his age, which is very interesting, you know, that he was the hire. Because we've talked about him many times, you and I, <laughs> well, about him becoming head coach pre before even becoming head coach. You know, so I found it to be interesting that, you know, him being one of the guys. And, you know, I thought about one of the conversations we had on air was, you know, that inexperience that he would have, you know, the inexperience that he would bring bring with him being a first-time head coach. But one thing that I uh, I think that most fans should find comfort in is while, yes, he is inexperienced, he really has made a lot of people feel comfortable very quickly. Yeah, you that know, he uh, has. The, the, the thing <laughs> that you have to be cautious about is that he hasn't even really been a coordinator for that long. So you're like – yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this guy was a coordinator starting like what two years ago? Three seasons and only two seasons calling plays. Yeah, so, so. I mean, <laughs> there's not even a. It's not. It's not the largest yeah. sample size. It, it's know, not the largest sample be. size, and then I think the big thing with him is everyone talks about. Well, you got to look at what he did with Kirk Cousins, which I agree with. It's very impressive, but. You know, Kirk Cousins, he had he had the supporting cast that you want to have. <laughs> you know, he had uh, Pierre Garçon and uh, uh, um, Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, he had Vernon Davis and also uh, what's the other tight end? Reed. Like <laughs> he had these weapons around him. Solid running game, you know. There was there was a lot to work with in that offense, so I don't there, think there really that you could is just... Washington's fault they didn't make the playoffs because they had a Absolutely. number of tools and 
and and even Sua Cravens, who most people were questioned about, had a decent damn year with with Washington, and and it's it's kind of a mystery how they didn't with with some of the games that Kirk played, but such is the NFC East, apparently. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like, 100% their fault. Like, when you look at that team, and they they really were kind of in, in the driver's seat for those last couple of weeks. They kind of messed themselves up. You know, they, they probably should have made the playoffs. <laughs> you know, there, there really isn't much of an excuse for them not to be in the playoffs. But yeah, no, I mean, all, all they had to do against the Giants was show up, and they're like, you know, man, screw it. Yeah, exactly. You know, but again, you look at that. That's the. I think that's my biggest concern. Is you know, yes, Sean McVay had success as a play caller for two years. Um, so with me, it's not so much his age, but it kind of goes to the question of how much of that was the situation he was in, his success. How much of it came from the situation he was in, and how much of it was just he's that good. You know, which is what we're all in to find out. You know, uh, that's that's what we're all looking to find out. How much of it is Sean McVay is that good? He just he made the guys play to a certain level to get a certain level of production out of them, or how much of it was that you had Deshaun Jackson, you had Pierre Garcon, you had two tight ends, you had you know you had uh, Jamison Crowder in the slot, you know who I think is a very underrated slot guy. You know, you you had a good running game, so. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of questions that's about to get answered. So we're, I think we're going to be in for an interesting, uh, not just season, but interesting offseason. You know, it all starts now. You know, who does he bring in for as an offensive coordinator? You know, um, there's there's some names floating around out there. <laughs> uh, I think that Mark Tressman would actually be a good hire. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think Mark Tressman was ever head coach material, but I think he's a solid offensive coordinator. You know, so I think that, you know, that's a name. That's floating around right now, so I think that would be a good hire um, for him to really focus on. And I know that they're talking about meeting with him soon, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think his most important thing to do right now is to build himself a very good staff, a very um, experienced staff <laughs> that he can kind of lean on, you know, to help him. Because the thing about head coaching is, you know, everyone's talking about fixing the offense, fixing the offense. He's gonna he's gonna call the plays for the offense, but as a head coach, you have so much more on your plate. You're all about being the uh, the head guy in charge, making sure everything else is going right. So he has a lot going on for him. So he has a lot on his plate just because he's calling plays because he's adding to an already heavy load. Agreed, man. And I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, how he approaches the offensive coordinator position. It really does seem like McVeigh at least his uh, strategy seems to be here that I am going to hire the most experienced guys, uh, guys I can at each position and the Rams seem willing to cough up the dough to get people that would be considered good to great hires. Wade Phillips probably fall under the great if you're, if you're looking for a defensive coordinator. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't get much better. Um, it may, but not usually. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you look at Mark Tressman, I'm with you. This is a guy who, who, you know, I, I, I don't think he, he, you know, his time in Chicago left a lot to be desired. But, but by that same thing, token, I'm gonna say- 
who has won about Chicago it. recently. Like that's just exactly. <laughs> One thing I would say about his time in Chicago: look at the season he got out of Jay Cutler. Okay, <laughs> Jay Cutler had probably his best season ever under him. Jay Cutler had never looked more focused and poised than that he did when he had when he was working under um, when he was working under. Uh, uh, who are we talking about? Trestman. <laughs> I keep wanting to say Eric Crowman, but I, I, know, I know that that's not who I meant to say. Mark Trestman. <laughs> yeah, Trestman. I can't want to say his assistant, Eric Cromer, uh, but no, that's not who I mean to say. <laughs> but yeah, he, like, he, he had so much success under Trestman. Um, now, Cromer was the offensive coordinator when Trestman was the head coach, but Trestman was actually the offensive co- coordinator before he was the head coach. You know, and he was... He did a good job, and he didn't just do it with Jay Cutler, but he also did it with McCown as well. You know, I think that he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he gets it. You know, I think he knows how to how to make things work. Uh, I think his time was just cut too short in Baltimore, and because of that, that's the most recent thing that people think of. So they say, oh, no, not, not Tressman, but I don't think Tressman's a bad hire. I think he's a good hire. Yeah, I, I... – I think he'd be a good hire. I think he'd have a little bit to do to be a great hire. I think, uh, honestly, you know, the Rams were hoping that the Chargers opted to go for somebody with a little bit more experience than Anthony Lynn so they could swoop up on Anthony Lynn. That that didn't work out. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, I but think is it is it possible to get a great hire as offensive coordinator for a team where you're not going to call the plays? Uh, yeah, no, because I, I've been told by Albright that that McVeigh isn't going to be doing a lot of the play calling duty. He he may be there. To, he's going to be there to help set up and install and 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 obviously play design. But McVeigh understands that. If you want to succeed, you kind of, I mean, you can oversee things, you can overrule things, you can be a head coach, but you generally want to let your coordinators be coordinators and, and you're not going to micromanage. And, and so, yes, Anthony Lynn would have been able to run his offense. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a problem. I, I, this is what makes me encouraged about a guy – like McVeigh, when I hear these things and when I hear, you know, s- sources tell us and, and guys like Benjamin Albright come on and in, in, in interview with us and say the same thing, tell us that this guy is legitimately trying to not just hire people who are successful in their positions, but actually let them do their damn job, which is something yeah, that absolutely. very few his age understand. They, they, they get up there and they feel like if they don't take some great measure of control over their situation, that they're going to lose it. Like the other guys aren't going to come through for them. You've got to put faith in your coordinators and their staff. And it sounds to me like McVeigh is going to put faith in his coordinators and his staff. So if you're a guy like Tressman, yeah, you got to feel pretty good about hearing that and having those reports out there in the media that this is a coach who's going to let you come in. He's going to consult you on some things. And yeah, every OC gets overridden throughout the course of the season. There is not a single OC who hasn't been overridden at one point by a head coach. You yeah, know, it, absolutely. It, it's the way of the gun. So 
I mean, there will be times that it happens, but you get and you know that you're going to be able to do you when you come to Los Angeles, even under what most people consider to be an offensive great mind. That's got to give you encouragement in taking the job. Now, whether that happens or not, I guess we'll find out. What's up, man? Yeah, that's that's to be the most interesting part. You know, how does he look? Because I mean, you have some people who might look and say, "Man, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty pretty good offensive mind here, and you know, he has a good offensive mind. What can we think of together? You know, but that of course would be somebody who's willing to be a team player." You know, who's kind of willing to share the uh, role as opposed to just being full control. But if you if you want to be a full control, you're probably not going to be thinking that way. You know, you're going to be like, I don't really know if I want you telling the world you're going to be calling plays. <laughs> you know, uh, so I think uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. I mean, I, at this point in the hiring process, um, so many so many office coordinators have been already hired, and some of the better people have been hired. You know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it takes out because, you know, if he doesn't take the position, it's, then you have to start asking, well, who, who's left? You know, what's the best that we can get right now? So it's going to be real interesting to see how this uh, shakes out in the next couple of weeks. And I don't think it's going to be too long. I'm, I think we're going to hear something about Mark Trestman sometime over the next week or so. So it should be pretty soon here. Yeah, I imagine you're going to end up being right about that. And, and you know, if if ultimately the Rams do get another significant or well-known name at the position, you have to start feeling encouraged or, I hate this phrase, but buy into the idea that McVay truly is going to let these guys do what they do. You yeah. know, and and that alone could be the difference between being the, the exception and the rule. You know, you come in and you let a stout defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips meet up with an offensive coordinator and say, "Okay, guys, let's look at all the garbage we have on this team, all these expiring contracts. Who do we want to bring back? What do you guys want? How do you guys want to do this? And then now how do we approach the draft? Okay. Let's see. Let's meet up with Les Snead. What Wade, what do you need on defense? Because you know Wade didn't come here without getting some say in, in Absolutely. In, you know. <laughs> uh, and likewise, I don't think a guy like Tressman would come here without without certain agreements in place that would give him control over some picks on the offense. He's gonna want to be able to tailor this offense to what he considers its strength. So I think that you know, less Sneed, maybe for the first time, and I know this is something that a lot of fans are going to, you know, still iffy on the front office, maybe less Sneed sits this one out just because the guy is doing it. Like, Les Sneed's still going to give the final approval, but if you've got Wade Phillips coming to you with something that he, Tressman, and McVay all agree upon, and you veto that? Yeah. You're going to have you know, to answer for that, especially if that guy turns out to be a stud. You know, I think that uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because with the coaching change, I think that less needs job becomes more stressful because it's finally been confirmed. You know, uh, Kevin Demoff finally came out and made it clear that less need had a full hand in on holding on to the grasp of, the hiring process uh, for the new head coach. And, 
you know, he, he was part of the interviewing process with McVay and every other coach that came in. And so his job is safe for this season, not necessarily in beyond. I think this is more of a prove it year, you know. So I think his job just became a lot more stressful because now you have a whole new coaching staff who you have to get to know, understand what they need, what they want, what type of player they, they're looking for. But it's happening in the middle of the process. You know, so while you're out trying to scout and figure these players out at the same time, while you're trying to figure the players out, you're trying to figure out what these new coaches want, what they need to fit their system and how it's going to work. So I think that uh, he is also he's in a, he's in quite the predicament right now because he's fighting for he's fighting for his job sort of, you know, on a one year deal. And he's got every odds built up against him. <laughs> you know, so how, how do you come out on top in that situation? I think that's going to be really interesting to see because he's a uh, he he doesn't have a lot to work with, you know. <laughs> the competition is going to be heavy in free agency because the Rams they don't necessarily have the most money, uh, especially with the cap runover that uh, started. The Rams only had three hundred thousand dollars from last year carryover, so you know. Uh, I'm, I'm on, real curious to see how good the Titans are going to be. Yeah, <laughs> the Titans in the. Uh, Loaded right now. (laughs) So it's going to be an interesting offseason for less need because I think that now that Fisher's gone with the changes, this will be the first offseason where he kind of has, he's going to be like a real GM. You know, I think a lot of things was uh, Jeff Fisher's call prior to this. And now, you know, you're looking at it and it's like, Okay, now he's kind of calling the shots that he's supposed to call as GM. So, so it's going to be really interesting to see how these how roles get filled from offensive coordinator to just filling in holes on the roster. It's going to be very interesting. We got a couple a uh, couple of good months coming up here that we should be paying close attention to. Yeah, I'm I'm quite curious. I think to see how this draft is conducted, maybe. Some guys are let go, uh, you know, for uh, some guy. Maybe some guys are traded um, to maybe package a deal, move up into the first round, even if it's late. Okay, but Uh, if you're moving up into the first round, are you – and you're saying you're packaging a deal with players. So are you looking to just trade a player or are you trading player in picks? Because that makes a huge difference. I think I think you may have to give up a pick depending on the player, but I think the Rams, I believe there's only t- I believe there's only two players on the Rams roster that you could trade um, and get first round picks in return, and that is Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley. I think there's still teams out there that would give them a first round pick for Todd Gurley, probably not a top fifteen pick, but you could get a first round pick for Todd Gurley, and uh, then Aaron Donald you could get whatever the hell you want. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And and it it would be interesting to see if Wade Phillips came in and said, I'm going to trade Aaron Donald, you know, and, and we're going to Rams are going to get back a boatload in return. Um, you know, there there are a number of defensive tackles. And I look, there, there may only be one Aaron Donald, but you can get some beasts coming out these days. You know, you look at Joey Bosa, the numbers that he put up, in some cases, he posted he was better than Aaron Donald. You know, it really was a back and forth between Aaron Donald and Joey Bosa for most of the season. And that's, you know, you've got J.J. Watt, you've got your Joey Bosa's, you've got these guys that are coming out that are, you know, proverbial man-eaters and just destroy offensive lines. You know, you look at USC's uh 
a defensive tackle, one technique, you know, Stevie T. You know, you look at look at a guy like that. I, mean, I would say this. I get what you're saying, um, but I wouldn't say that anyone that played in the trenches played better than Aaron Donald this year, and here's why. Joey Bosa had a hell of a first year. There's no question about it. But um, what I put oh, him on par. I'm just saying you had you have guys that are coming out that no, are absolutely, absolutely. in a yeah. very meaningful fashion. I'm not saying you absolutely. maybe get an Aaron Donald back. No, 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 no. I know, I know that's not what you're saying, but like I'm saying like how good is Aaron Donald really? You know, when you look at Joey Bosa, you know, he's playing on a team there. Everybody was healthy, you know. Everyone on that in the D line and the, the edge rushers, they were all healthy for most, pretty much the whole season. Um, Aaron Donald didn't have Robert Quinn the whole season, and then also Joey Bosa plays more. He plays the edge, you know. He's a five tech, whereas Aaron Donald's down in the nitty gritty, the dirty playing the three tech. <laughs> you know, the only place dirtier than that is a straight up zero or a shade. You know, so Dude. for him to be playing the three tech. And to produce the way that he does, it's, it's so much harder to do, you know, because you're, you're just right in the thick of things. You have less space to maneuver. You know, you don't, you're not out there on the edge where you have a lot of room to roam and have all these different moves and just run around a guy. Like, you got to be you got to be a grown man to play down there, you know. So for him to play down there and produce the way that he does and lead the league in total pressures where it would come, come, um, QB sacks, hits, um and pressure is impressive, you know, just coming up the middle like that in the, the roughest part of the line. And he was able to achieve that for a second year in a row. That is very impressive. Yeah, no, Aaron, Aaron Donald's an absolutely tremendous athlete. I'm not suggesting that the Rams should trade him. I don't think the Wade, Wade Phillips would. Why would you? You're no, sitting, no. Oh, no. You're sitting on a gold mine with him. The question is... But, Okay, do we sit back this year, maybe take it on the nose and not have a first-round draft and kind of bring some guys in, play them up, and then package them and try and get a, a first-round pick maybe in 2018 instead? But here's the, here's the thing. We're talking about Les Snead. Les Snead loves trading. Whether it's up or down, he loves to trade. So here's a question. Do we sit, do you, does anyone really believe that the Rams sit still in this draft, especially if the uh, compensatory pick comes through and they get a third and a fourth round pick. Do they really sit still in this draft? Like, I just don't see it happening, whether no. they go up or down. You have teams <laughs> like New England that are notorious for trading out for like a, a second and a third and a third the following year. New England, yeah. New England's happy to do that kind of crap. So you know you've got teams that are willing to bet the farm on their scouting system. The Ravens used to, you know, Ozzie Newsome down there like the dude didn't miss. Um, and you have guys like that, GMs like that around the league. Les Snead is not one of those guys, as we've seen. But it is fair to say that he really has drafted some players that have been studs for the Rams. So he's also not bullshit, which is good. So the question is, how is Les Snead, was he overambitious in going and getting golf? Perhaps. Does that mean he's an awful GM? I don't know. You know, per perhaps McVay comes in and 
we're all proven to be fools. And uh, Jared Goff has the season of a lifetime. Something that, you know, Walter Football <laughs> thinks is impossible. Yeah, out, out of Jared Goof. Oh, uh, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what golf is capable of. I've known, I know what he's shown me. I know that you and I agree that we're not high on him and that the Rams probably gave up too much to get him. We both agree that we don't necessarily see him as the future of the Rams. The question. Well, no, no, no. I, I've never said that. <laughs> see, I don't, I don't, I don't like throwing in the towel on guys so early. I'll criticize the hell out of him for what he's done so far, but I won't say that. Because if I feel like when you say he's not the future, then you kind of call him a bus. Uh, I, I can't call him no, a bus. No, yet. not at all. I think I think sometimes. See, I think that's too often the thinking that people go to is that if a guy fails it within an organization, he's a bust. That is absolutely not the case. You are as much a victim of where you're drafted to as anything else. Jared Goff might very well be a fabulous replacement down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I, I agree with you on that. You know how I feel about systems. It's, excuse me, it's a LA. huge deal. L.A., L.A., he might, you know, so <laughs> you, look, you look at situation and say the Rams, which ran at the time of just a very basic pro set formation, jumbo packages, I formation. Very rarely did they spread teams out. Uh, and now you've got a guy in here who who utilizes his tight ends, who spreads things out, especially if you bring in a guy like Tressman. You're still able to, 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 to get yardage up the middle, and you aren't afraid to run the ball, but you do that by using what you have on offense. The Rams do have Tavon Austin. He can be an effective playmaker. They have young receivers. They have young tight ends waiting to make a breakout. They just need somebody to get on the same page as them. And maybe yeah. it's maybe it's going to be a guy like Tressman consulting with McVay as to how to dumb down the offense enough such that it enables Goff to succeed, to do what he needs to do. Yeah, so one thing I love about what the players have said about Sean McVay and not the like the media talking heads, but the actual players is that his communication skills is like no other. You know, he can break down the play. You know, he can explain it to the players to where they get it. You know, so it just tells me that he you don't have to dumb down the playbook when you got a good communicator. You know, um, and that was the, that's the, that's been the, the number one thing that's come raining in the praise for him is how well he communicates, how much he can get the point across to get you to understand whatever the play may be. Make sure you're understanding the concepts because it's not necessarily one thing you have to know about the uh, any playbook is that you, the you're not you're not having success by just knowing what you have to do. You have success by understanding the concept of the play. And that's what they say that he does a good job of doing is explaining that and getting people to understand it so that the play works better. So everyone's on the same page. Everyone's on one accord. You know, so if there's one thing that I'm looking forward to is it's that, you know, can he get every because that's that's the Rams biggest issue 
on not just offense, the entire team. Everyone's not always on one accord. They're kind of all over the place. You know, guys, and Jermon Brown said it himself. You know, he said we're blocking one way and Ty Gurley's running another. You know, so you got you got guys all over. Uh, can Sean McVay bring, you know, this good reputation of getting everyone on one, one page, one accord? Can he bring that to L.A. and get all of them there? We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Um, it's going to be extraordinarily interesting to see what comes. Um, though I, I, I remain inspired by all of the things that you've said that I've heard that are out there in the media. I truly feel like this gives Sean McVay a chance to succeed. And in order to do that, he's going to have to do so through free agency and a mixture of the draft. And I think that, you know, maybe here with the back end of our uh, back end of our conversation, let's talk a little bit about the draft. You've got some guys we know who's declared. We've got guys like Adoree, Juju, Deshaun Watson's not going to play in the Senior Bowl, which pisses off every Southern writer <laughs> with a with a moral conscience that believes you do not turn down the Reese's Senior Bowl. Um. Because everybody tunes in and watches it, and it's so important. Now, look, man, I like the Reese's Senior Bowl, but I also understand the merit in not playing in it and putting your own stock in it. Absolutely. Because you're putting your faith in guys that you've never played with for your entire with in your entire life, maybe back in high school you played with some of these guys, but you're counting on them to make you look good in an offense that you have no say over. Yeah. And while these plays are generally designed to help you succeed and help the offense succeed, oftentimes they're also just what NFL scouts want to see. They don't care whether the play works for the kid or not. They just want to see if he can go through the motions of it. And I don't understand not wanting to throw to guys who aren't your own. I understand the value of pro day. I've been a pro day uh, proponent for some time. I say, screw the combine and do it all at pro day. Have the interested parties come out to you. If you need the combine, if you're a guy like Cooper cup, who needed the the senior bowl, who will need the combine to show everything that he can do. I think that, that then, then yeah, yeah, absolutely go for it. But if you're a national championship winning uh, quarterback, Heisman winning quarterback in Deshaun Watson, then this is kind of, it's a no brainer to me, man. Like put in your pro day and, and your, your, your offense speaks for itself. Clemson runs. They have pro many pro concepts in their offense. It's, it's, it's a very NFL friendly offense to see what a guy like uh, Deshaun Watson can do. And they lined up against, you know, their defense is certainly what you would call in college an NFL defense. It went toe to toe with Alabama and came out the better. Um, so, I mean, this is a team that, 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 you know, it's got a lot of talent around it. I, I, if Deshaun Watson wants to put his faith in guys that he's been playing with for four or five years, I don't give a crap. I really don't, man. This is his future. He's got to approach it the best way he knows how. That said, the Rams still have what they have for picks. What are you looking at if the Rams stay pat with those picks that we discussed earlier? You know, 
it's it's interesting because one thing about the Senior Bowl, and especially, you know, I, I'm interested to see if this is something that changes now that Jeff Fisher is gone, or if let's see kind of stay the course. But the Rams kind of have a track record of picking guys who played in the Senior Bowl. Now, I agree with you 100%. Oh, you know, between about players, you know, not wanting to participate in the senior bowl with the pros and cons and avoiding injury and all those things. But the number one thing that I think is goes over so many of these young guys heads um, when, when they're making that decision to not participate in the senior bowl is no one really cares about the game other than the fans. Scouts aren't there to really watch the game. The most important thing is how you're performing in practice. This is the first time they get to see how you practice and how you watch film and how you study. That's the whole purpose of the Senior Bowl is that week leading up to the game, they can truly evaluate you um, as a pro. You know, you're, you're, you're going through a pro playbook. You're, um, you're going through a pro playbook. You're having pro-coordinated practices. you got pro staffs. Everything is getting evaluated from a pro's point of view. So that's the most important thing about it. I think the guys don't realize that they say, I don't, I don't want to play in that game when it's not about the game. It's about the week of practice. You know, so will, will, will let Snead continue to uh, continue that trend of picking guys who played in the uh, who participated in the senior bowl? Because that's been a big trend for the Rams is getting guys who's in the senior bowl. Um, I'm interested to see that because it looks like the, a lot of stock have been, has been put into, you know, getting those, those type of players. Um as far as who do you take? Well, let's see. <laughs> this draft is, you know, and I've, I've, I've already completed my big board, my big one, uh, my top 100 big board 2.0 already. I've just kind of been moving things around because right now I'm in the thick of scouting. Um, and so there's, I'm constantly switching players around because I'm so heavy into the scouting right now. But this draft is so ridiculously loaded at the cornerback position is scary. And it's not just the cornerback position, but it's also loaded at the safety position. So we'll just say defensive backs. It is loaded. There's a lot of talent, and you can get it between rounds one through five. <laughs> and, I mean, you can actually get a starter in the fifth round. They're, they're that loaded at these two positions, which makes you to stop and say, well, do you want to go after one of the top guys, you know, you know, at the, at the with your second round pick early on, because there's going to be some first round talent that slips over and falls to that second round pick because it's only five picks into the second round where you're going to get a quality player, you know, a truly first round player, a player that in a lot of drafts probably goes in the top 20. The Rams can still get that type of player in the second round because of how loaded the first round is going to be. I personally believe between receiver and a defensive back, we're going to see probably about 12 to 14 guys be drafted from those positions. Because for receiver, I think there's five receivers going in the first round. There's probably going to be seven defensive backs. It's pretty loaded. You know, so there's going to be some good, some talent that falls over. But because it's so loaded, do you take that talent? Do you take that guy earlier? Do you try to go get a, really, a, a good receiver? Because after those top receivers, it starts to fall off. Or do you try to go get one of the best linemen? Because there's only so many really top rated linemen. And if one falls there, do you go, do you take them? Or do you, do, you, do you take them and then say, hey, I can get a, I can get a defensive back? Because the defensive back has to be addressed. You know, the safety and corner has to be addressed on his team. So especially in Wade Phillips' defense, you know, the defensive backs are so important in his defense. So do you address that early on? 
but the draft is so deep, you can still get a good player. You may not get the best player, but you can get a quality player later on. Do you wait or do you go ahead and get one of the best ones? I think it's going to be a very, very, very tough but interesting decision that we're going to be seeing uh, the Rams face with this year. So let's argue about that, you know, because <laughs> in our turf showtimes mock draft, one of them, we had yeah. out of Southern California at the second yes. round, Mr. Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, everybody should be acquainted with him. Uh, obviously had a couple amazing catches in the Rose Bowl. Has done so for USC. Very physical guy. Uh, very good condition. Great body. NFL receiver body, definitely. Um, but due to injuries and the USC, I call it curse of the wide receiver, number one wide receiver, uh, these types of guys have typically fallen toward the second round. And Nelson Aguilar going in the first and being a complete bust with the Eagles is not going to help. Um, yeah. No, Mark Easley quietly put up a quiet, a good year with the Jags. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's harder to come by a wide receiver out of USC that's had tremendous success than not. Um, you said you had some thoughts on Juju Smith-Schuster that you were worried were going to offend me. So go ahead and offend <laughs> and we'll go from there. All right. With, with Juju, it's, it's very simple for me. Um, first off, I don't, I'm not of the mindset that he's even going to be available when the Rams pick in the second round. I think that he's going to be a first-round draft pick um, because of the, that dangerous word that, that gets coaches fired all the time, but because of potential. <laughs> you know, I think that he's going to be a first-round draft pick, especially if he goes to the combine and he tears it up, which I think he's going to perform you know, pretty well. Um, at his size, if he runs anything four five five four between four five and four five five, he's probably going to submit himself as a first round draft pick. Um, that and that's because he's six two two hundred and twenty five pounds. <laughs> you know, he's a pretty big receiver. Four five five four five is going to be the perfect range for him to be submit himself as a first round draft pick because I think he's going to jump well. I think he's going to perform okay in the uh, drills. However, I have serious questions about um, just his overall game. Um, I question how good his route running really is, which I know is something that he's kind of received praise about, but it's some things that I look at. I'm just like, I don't know. He's kind of sloppy with his route running. Um, I also question if he's, if he, I, the number one thing I question is if he has the best hands on the team. I personally don't think so. I think Darius Rogers actually has the best hands yep. on that team. Possession receiver like a, like a mo. His, it, he is a, he's a very underrated player to me. Um, he's somebody I have thoroughly enjoyed scouting. Uh, I really question why more balls didn't come his way in his four year. Career. Well, to be perfectly honest, it's because of Cody Kessler. Forty six percent of the offense went through Juju Smith Schuster when Cody yes. Kessler was the quarterback because Cody Kessler tends to isolate on a receiver, lock on to him, and make that his primary target. Balls that had no business going to Juju Smith-Schuster. And additionally, Darius Rogers didn't have exactly the best start to his career with the injuries that he had to overcome. Oh, no, 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 no. I realize that part. But you're, 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 kind of, you're kind of making my point for me, though. Like, that's my question is, why didn't more balls come to him why is yeah. it that Juju Smith? Why was it Juju Smith could gain his trust so much 
and you could not, you know. So there's something there's that's usually pretty telling, you know. There's usually some reason why the quarterback trusts a player so much, you know. Um, now the only time I look at it and say that there's nothing you can do about that, it's out of your control, is if that trust for that player stems from just an off-field relationship, you know, where you and the quarterback are really tight and he's like, I'm going to come your way no matter what, you know, because that he's, he, he has that comfort in you because of the friendship off the field. But if it's purely on the field, if he feels more comfortable throwing to you, throwing to uh, Juju over Darius from practice, then that's where you kind of got to start digging, you know. So I have that that major concern with Darius Rogers, but I really like that kid's tape. Like, I really enjoy watching his – his tape, I think he runs great routes. He really, when the first, the second I put it on and really first time I watched it, the first thing I said was Inquan Bowden. It was the first thing that came out of my mouth. It was like the the size and then the hand, the strength of those hands is scary. Like the, the ball does not leave those mitts. It's really impressive, you know. So I, I, I look at it, I say I was more impressed with Darius Rogers than I was with Juju Smith-Schuster. And you being the star receiver, I feel like any time someone throws on the tape, you should always be the you should always be the star of the show. And I didn't feel that way with him. And because of that, I don't. It worries me. It worries me with Juju Smith Schuster. I'm questioning if he's going to be another one of those USC receivers who doesn't turn out to be that number one top notch guy that you expect. I question if he's ever going to be that dominant number one. He looks to me like he's probably just going to be a okay, not even a top notch, just an okay number two. I still think he's going to go in the first round, but I'm questioning if he's if he's worth the first round. No, I I I tend to agree with you. I've had my question marks about him. I don't doubt his dedication. I don't doubt his workmanship. Um, I've seen what the size he put on from his freshman year until now. I mean, he's 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 put on a master class of of get swole, son. Um, yeah, absolutely. He he really has. You see, you have to admire the the the, the dedication to his craft, and and you're right. Potential is going to be one of those words that surrounds him. It's going to be one of those words that's attached to him, and it's. I think it's going to be a case of does an organization fall in love with him and think that, okay, if we don't take him in the first round, he won't be there for us in the second round. And that may make it may cause somebody to move up and go and get him. I have always felt like Darius Rogers was the best receiver on USC's team. Uh, He was certainly one of the most dependable. Um, He got them out of a bunch of jams with some really tough catches. That's not to say Juju didn't do the same. But I just kind of felt more sizzled and more confident in in Darius or by Darius Rogers. Um, you know, when we start our draft podcast, I'll have to reach out to him and his agent and have him come on because um, he'd certainly be a guy that would make for a great fit in Los Angeles. A guy that a lot of teams are probably going to overlook, maybe second, third round guy, just simply because. That's 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 just generally the way it goes. Uh, Once you start getting into the second and third round teams kind of start filling out by need. You have one or two teams that will move up because they really like a guy and he's there. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Darius Rogers. Um, 
I, I, I like him. I like him a lot. I don't know if he's yeah, a first too. Round guy. I don't know if he's a first round guy because I think he's a possession type receiver. And you, he is definitely a possession I, receiver. I, I, and I've heard people say, "Don't spend a first round pick on a possession receiver." But you know what? Some of the NFL's best, some of the guys that have won Super Bowls, some of the guys that have put the team on their back, they've all been possession receivers. I don't. I don't know. I don't like that logic of don't spend a pick, you know, on a possession receiver, get a playmaker. Screw that, man. Like, why would I want the guy? Let me me put it this way. When I have the guy that's good for two doubles and a triple every game, you know, like, (laughs) let me put it this way. I said the second I put on the tape, the first thing I, and I kid you not, within 30 seconds of watching his tape, the first thing I said was Enquan Bowden. And Enquan Bowden was a second round draft pick. Now, you go, you fast forward 13 years later and over almost 14,000 yards and 1,000 receptions later, <laughs> how many teams look back and say, I should have took him in the first round? Yeah. So I'm with you. I don't, I'm not of the mindset that because you're a, uh, because you're a possession receiver that you should, you, you should never be a, a first-round draft pick. And Quan Bowden, you know, he was a second-round draft pick. It wasn't like he was just passed over and fell like I think Darius Rock. I don't Steve think anyone was going to pick. I think Steve Smith for USC was a second-round pick as well. Yeah. I don't think there. I don't think Darius Rogers will be a second round pick. I think he's somebody who's going to fall down the draft a bit. I don't think he gets picked before the, before the fourth or fifth round. That's the round I think he's going to go in. But I think he deserves to be picked higher. Darius Rogers is a very good receiver, you know, and I think he's going to come in. He's going to he's going to really make a name for himself down the line. So it's going to be very interesting. I agree with you. Possession receivers uh, shouldn't just automatically be kicked off to the side. But again, I think it kind of can work in the Rams' favor if they uh, if they want to go the receiver route. However, I do not believe Juju Smith-Schuster, get back on topic here, should be a Ram. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't believe he should be a Ram. Um, I think I'm kind of possible. against the idea myself. I, I've not, I'm not convinced by him. More importantly, I don't see how he fits. is going to make Jared Goff better. Yeah, I don't see the fit. I don't I don't see it. You know, I just I really don't see it. <laughs> you know, they um need a speedier guy, you know, they need somebody like a Kenny Britt. Here's the uh, thing. Here's the thing. When you talk about a team who yeah, there's a potential of getting, you know, three compensatory picks um, a third, fourth, and sixth round. There's that potential, yes. But as it stands right now, the Rams have five picks, okay? They're not getting a first round without a trade, okay? They cannot afford to waste that first round pick or their not their first pick. They can't afford to waste that first pick on potential. They have to go with a guy who they feel safe with. <laughs> it needs to be a safe pick. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go and get a guy who's mediocre or anything like that. There's like I said, there's gonna be the be first round is so jam packed. This is the wrong year to not have a first round pick. Let's put it that way. You know, the first round is so jam packed. There's gonna be some guys who, in a lot of drafts, like let's say the 2013 draft, for example, there's some guys in this draft who's gonna fall to the top 10 picks of round two, who would have been a top 20 pick in that draft. Because in my per in my personal opinion. That was one of the weakest first rounds I've ever scouted, <laughs> you know, but 
there's guys in this draft who would have been top 20 picks in there. So there's going to be some talent that falls over. So you don't necessarily have to go and just settle, you know, you don't, you know, because you're trying to avoid just going the potential route. But if you're going to have guys available who I think are going to be some really good pros, who's really fundamentally sound. That's one other thing I noticed in scouting this year's class is this is the most fundamentally sound class I've ever scouted by far. <laughs> you know, like it's not even remotely close. They So many players are really working on the little nuances of it. It's like they're learning from the guys who came before them who didn't work on it. They're really working on it now. You can really see the difference. You don't have to settle for just potential. You can get guys who have potential and production and knows how to turn that potential into skill. And that's what I that's that's the uh, thing that I'm looking at with Juju Smith. I see the potential. The production was up and down. And, yeah, I, you know, there was some injuries there, which, you know, is something else that you have to look that you have to consider. But then the skill. How much of that potential has he turned into skill over his three years at USC? And I just don't see a lot of potential turned into skill. I just see him playing on potential. <laughs> so Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. I tend to find that uh, this is a, the Rams need to, to, to have hits in this draft. They need them. They need them badly because they've lost so much over the past couple years. They need to recoup that with some guys who can come in and get playing time right away. You know, you can build them out. They don't need to be all pro, but they need to be able to contribute. And if the Rams can get guys that can contribute, guys that can get better, guys that can grow up, um, you know, you you obviously want more out of Tyler Higby and Tamaric Hemingway. You definitely want more out of Jared Goff. You're hoping Nelson Spruce, you know, can give you a hell of an off-season training camp and prove <laughs> that he can crack that. Oh, Nelson. <laughs> you know, you've still got Farrell Cooper out there who's been given some chances and has yet to impress. So I think I think there are a young core of hungry receivers, and if you want to add to that, you really should go with somebody who is a safe thing, a sure thing. Like, not that I think he'd be there, but like a Cooper Cup, you know? Like, just sort of... Oh, hold up. Wait a second. <laughs> you think Cooper Cup's going to be gone before the Rams pick? <laughs> I, I do, Hell man. no. <laughs> No, absolutely I, not. <laughs> I think teams. I, I know that those rumblings have come up. I have. I have heard a couple of people talking about it. Um, you know, just a couple. Display couple, he's putting on against the nation's top corners. He's still, exactly. I've heard those rumblings coming up from the Senior Bowl. I'm just not sold. He's a first round pick. I believe we have seen all we're going to see from Cooper Cup. Sure, sure, sure. I, think, I didn't say he was a first round pick. There are still five picks ahead of the Rams. I think, yes, he's gone. I feel sated, sated with their first-round pick. All of a sudden, you look, you maybe, I haven't looked at the draft, but let's say. I don't, believe, I don't believe any of the four teams that draft right before the Rams in round two will pick a receiver. I, look, dude, I think the Patriots would pick a guy like that up if he fell to them. Not in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I think the Patriots. I, look, this is this is the truth, and I don't like doing mocks this early. Like I'll scout and I'll do big boards and all that. I don't like doing mocks to be four 
free agency because you don't know what holes are being filled yet. But I truly believe the Patriots are going to pick Christian McCaffrey. If there's ever been a Patriots player to enter the draft, that's it right there. <laughs> like that, and I don't believe Christian McCaffrey goes high in the first round. I just don't believe that because me personally, I, I wouldn't take him in the first round. But I believe if there's ever been a Patriots player, Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey, and they'll be like, "We got this, we got yeah, this." I believe, I believe they can get. I believe they can get Cooper Cup in the second round. At the end of the second round, I think he'll still be there. It'll be interesting to see, man. It's definitely going to be interesting to see. I'm curious. You know, you 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 talk about. A, a good crop of wideouts and a good crop of DBs. So let's say you toss Juju and Cooper aside for the second round. Who do you pick up for the Rams? Okay, so I know um, last time I was on, I was talking about Corey Davis a lot. and uh, Corey Davis, honestly, is my favorite player in this draft. Now, four months ago, nobody was talking about him. You didn't hear about him in the scouting circles. You know, none of the uh, pre-draft websites had them ranked higher than the top 30. So, you know, uh, it looked like there was a chance he could fall. But now the hype is coming out, as you know, which happens every year. You know, uh, now the hype is coming out because, you know, scouts are really starting to dig in. And Corey Davis has shot up draft boards. Corey Davis is the one player I was hoping could slip under the radar and be a rim. Because I truly compare him to a, a, like a mixture, actually. Because when I see him run sometimes, literally, if you're, if you're not looking at the jersey number, you're not looking at the color of the jersey or that it's a college player, it looks like Terrell Owens running with the football. That Just the way he runs. But just his overall physical stature, his style of play, his ability to play every single receiver position and understanding of it. He is 100% reminds me of Julio Jones. You know, so I look at this player and I'm just like, man, I really wish you could get him. But then I say, if that's not going to happen, <laughs> there's only two players. Well, I'll say three players. Three players I look at and say the Rams should strongly consider says I can't get Corey Davis because <laughs> I don't believe he makes it out of the top 10. You know, surely won't make it out of the top 15. If the Rams can't get a Corey Davis, then and you're still looking at uh, – building a play, putting a playmaker or improving your offense at the very least. Um, you have to look at the offensive line. I would say that Garrett Bowles is a possibility because there's a chance he may slip out of the first round just because there's a, there's a few inconsistencies in this game, but I think he's still a very good left tackle. Um, so Garrett Bowles is one person you have to look at. Another is uh, TJ Watt. I think there's a chance yeah. TJ Watt. I think there's a very good chance T.J. Watt falls into the second round because he's a back of the first he's a back of the first round guy, unless he just blows up the combine. <laughs> but if he doesn't blow up the combine, I think he's going to perform good in the combine. I don't think he's going to be bad at all. He's not going to blow it up like his brother did. But T.J. Watt, considering you're switching through to a three four anyway, T.J. Watt could be Wade Phillips, Von Miller. <laughs> T.J. Watt is damn good. He's very good. I love the energy he plays with. He's got his brother's motor. He doesn't have his brother's size or his just freakish athletic ability, but he has his brother's motor. And it's not like he's a bad athlete. He's a very solid athlete. I think he's a, as far as athleticism goes, he's an average NFL 3-4 outside linebacker from athleticism. But from IQ, 
The, he plays so smart. He plays extremely aware. Those football instincts, the things that you can't teach or the things you can't go to the gym and work to get better at, he has all of it. And then you add in that, that motor. T.J. Watt's going to be a very, very, very good pro. <laughs> you know, So T.J. Watt is somebody that I would strongly, if he's there, that's somebody where if he's there and Corey Davis is there, I'm going to pick Corey Davis, but it's going to take me a long time to hand in that card. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's going to take, take me a while to hand in that card. T.J. Watt's going to be a very good pro, and I would strongly, strongly consider bringing him on board. For- <laughs> and then lastly, if there's a receiver that falls out of the first round, I, uh, the, uh, not named Juju Smith, I would have to strongly consider him because I really like all of the top receivers in this draft class. Um, I'm kind of of the mindset with the secondary being so deep in this draft, I'm not stressing it as much as I probably w- normally would be over the last couple of drafts. It hasn't been as strong. So I'm not stressing it as much because I truly believe the Rams can get a third-round corner if they have a third-round pick. I believe they could get a third-round corner that will start. Like, for example, I think Kevin King, for example, is somebody or one of my favorite corners in this draft is Demonte Kazi. I love this kid. I love watching his tape. He reminds me a lot of Janoris Jenkins. Unbelievable ball skills, amazing quick feet. He's somebody that I, that I look at and say, you can get him in the top of the third round or Kevin King, a long corner, like 6'3", 200 pounds, really similar to Richard Sherman, only I think that he can play men a lot better than Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman sucks at men. <laughs> you know, I think he can play man coverage way better. You know, um, there's some quality guys that you can get in the third round, and there's some legit starting safeties that's going to be there in the fourth round. You know, you're going to have, if you get this comp- compensatory pick, you're going to have two fourth round picks anyway, so you can always have the potential of moving up. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm really kind of set on if you're uh, if you're there and you're picking there at the second top of the second round, you got to look at the offensive line. You got to look at T.J. Watt. He's available. And then in any receiver that slips down, you got to you got to strongly consider it, because considering that there's a really good chance that Kenny Britt doesn't come back. And I, I know I'm a guy who's kind of put it out there, um, put I put it out there a couple of weeks ago that the player that makes the most sense in free agency is Deshaun Jackson. You know, um, I, I think I was the first person to say it. I know that I just seen a report on it recently, but I hadn't really seen anybody talking about it before that. But Deshaun Jackson makes a lot of sense. You know, so but if you can't get a receiver to fill those roles that because if when Kenny Britt leaves and Brian Quick leaves, your most accomplished receiver is Tavon Austin. OK, after that, you have Farrell Cooper. <laughs> you have Mike, um, Mike Thomas. You have Nelson Spruce. You know, you know, you're not really working with a lot of experience here. You know, you know, they, I think combined outside of Tavon Austin, they've played less than 150 snaps. So <laughs> you really need to get somebody in here. You know, so um, I would definitely say that if you if you can't if you can't get a if you can't get a Deshaun Jackson, one of these top receivers in free agency, you're going to have to draft a receiver very early. Fair enough, man. Uh, so final little segment here, and we'll get the hell out of here because I think we've we've gone on long enough. But uh, real quick here, man, how long do you give Jared Goff before you pull the plug on his experiment? Do you give him one more season? Oh, do you give him two? No, absolutely not. I, I give all rookie quarterbacks, I don't care what, dra- what round you was drafted in, I think it's bogus to give a first-round pick you know, more time than a third-round pick. I get if once you become a starter, you know, 
I look at you and I say, give me, two, you know, two and a half three years. Once you get once you start to get into that 40 game range, that's when I think it's it's a fair evaluation. You know, now you can evaluate what a player's done up until this point and say you sucked or you were really great or you were average. This is what you need to work on, whatever it may be. That's fair. That's fine. But to say that it's time to move on from a player because everyone develops at different speeds, you know, um, sometimes it just clicks for guys and sometimes it takes a while, you know. But, but here's you, the thing, though. Let me, let me put out my counter argument. My counter argument okay. to this is that under normal circumstances, I agree with you. But if you're Sean McVay, a first time head coach, considered to be the youngest in the league and Jared Goff gives you another crap season. Can you afford to have a second crap season? Yes. I mean, a guy literally just got fired for having Chip Kelly got fired for one bad year. But Chip Kelly was already a head coach. You know, so Chip Kelly brought Right, but he came to a 49ers roster that had literally just retired or re released or traded, gotten rid of everyone, and all he had was Colin Kaepernick and he got one year. Yeah, but the thing is, he brought more of what you saw in Philly. You know, so it really wasn't there wasn't anything different. The only the only the only reason why they uh, won more games in Philly with him than they did in uh, San Fran is they had better players to overcome certain obstacles at the end of games in Philly. But remind you, he still was wet uh, his last season there, seven and nine or something like that, or whatever it was, six and ten. I don't remember what the record was for 2015, but. It wasn't that great, <laughs> you know. Well, I think they finished seven and nine because Sam Bradford closed out the season with like two wins or something like that. But that was it, <laughs> you know. So they had better players in Philly than they do than they did in um, San Fran, and that's the only difference in the record. Without those better players, he, Philly's probably looking at a record pretty similar to San Fran. You know, San Fran's roster is depleted. You know, so he brought, but he still brought more of the same. A good coach, you want to see him take that depleted roster and win a few games. You're not going to expect him to take that depleted roster to the playoffs and just be this dominant team. You know, but you're expecting to get some type of return on that investment. You get the, the what you got on the field was the epitome of what you had on your roster. So you expect your coach to be able to take whatever you got and elevate it just a little bit, raise their game. Because if you can raise, Sure, a depleted roster. Then raise the game of what the Rams have, and it's not going to change the fact that the Rams, like you just said at the top of this hour, don't even have three players that they could get a first round pick for. Now, if you have an entire team and all twenty two, we're talking all twenty two in special teams. This team doesn't even, and even then, I, I maintain that Todd Gurley, it would be a hard first round pick. You'd have to find a suitor. I think that a lot of people are leery on Gurley because of his attitude, his public comments, and the work effort in this season. I think that throws a lot of people off saying, I'll give you a first-round pick for him. But absolutely, I think there is a team out there that would say, oh, no, I think this kid's closer to what he did his freshman year. The Rams are just complete crap. And they would Absolutely. trade a first round pick for him. So I'll give you I would say I would I would go on a limb and say there's five teams out there that may be willing to part a first round pick. So you have let's say one point five players 
They're worth the first round pick in Los Angeles. But again, what well, the thing that you're not the thing that you're not including with McVay is this is his first go round. You have uh, Chip Kelly who had a track record already. Ready of looking, he put it, it was the exact same. Like nothing from the time that he came to the. What has been my number one thing? What's been the number one thing that I've what, what was my number one complaint about Jared Goff? My number, my number one complaint with Jared Goff is from his first start to his seventh start, you didn't see an improvement. No. That was the that's my that's been my number one complaint. It's been the same thing with Chip Kelly from his first game as a head coach to his most recent. You saw no real adjustments, no improvement. He's still the same coach, no matter what his roster is, no matter what his team is. So there's a difference between Chip Kelly, who's been a head coach for four or five years now, four years now, you know, and then having Sean McVay after one season with a, deplete, with a depleted roster. With a depleted roster and a QB who's not NFL ready, you can't hire him after this. Smith given in Tampa. How long was who? Bobby Smith. I don't really agree with that either. I mean, (laughs) but I'm saying it happens. That's my point. It's not whether. Yeah, it does happen. I don't. I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens with the Rams though. I mean, you just saw Jeff Fisher have five years. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but I'm saying. It happens. So it is conceivable that Stan Kroenke says after one year and a horrendous season by the Rams, okay, McVay, you don't get another. I think for that to happen, it has to be so bad and not just the record. We're not just talking record. I'm talking it has to be so bad to the point to where the locker room is lost. Players are just kind of mouthing off in the media, like all kind of stuff, you know, like it has to really fall apart. For somebody to step in and say Sean McVay is not the guy, it really happened because we're talking about a guy who pretty much acts like he doesn't even care about his team, just doesn't pay them much attention. You just gave Jeff Fisher five years and not one peep came out of your mouth, you know. So I look at it and I say, yeah, it happens, but I'm not so that Jeff uh, that Stan Kroenke is just going to be like, okay, Sean McVay, you're gone after one year, unless it's just an absolute terrible, terrible show up there. It, it, it has to really I fall wrote apart. Something to the similar, I, I wrote something in an article that went up yesterday on Tur Showtime stating that at, at, at some point, a losing culture is tolerated within Kroenke's organizations, whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's the Avalanche, whether it's the Rapids. Losing and, and, and maintaining your status quo, so to speak, is is something that does happen. So it'll be interesting to see what the Rams do, how they approach it. But Lord knows that we'll have a bunch of opinions on it. So what do you got coming up this week? Oh, uh, yeah. Get out of here. Well, I'm, um, I'm, like I said, I'm kind of in the thick of the my scouting process right now. I've been really digging down deep into it. I have a, I've got probably well, my most extensive. I usually do put out a, uh, a top 10 sleepers. In the draft, but I'm probably going to have to extend it because I can't really settle in on 10. It's a pre- this draft is really kind of deep in some positions, you know. So um, I'm working on my list of uh, top sleepers. I've already completed my top 100 big board, just kind of twerking, uh, tweaking it a little, twerking, <laughs> tweaking it a bit. <laughs> just kind of tweaking it a little bit, you know, to get it just how, how I feel. Because like, I only do two big boards a year, so this one is going to be the final one which will be coming out uh, in the next couple of days here. But then I'm going to also do my uh, top sleepers 
And then from there, scouting reports are going to start falling out. So, yeah, going to have scouting reports uh, dropping out pretty soon here. Uh, probably right around the time of the combine is when they're going to be ready. So, I got another two or three weeks before those are ready. But in the meantime, just going to throw out these big these big boards and these sleeper prospects, and you know, continue doing some evaluations like I've been doing with Tavon Austin and Jared Goff and uh, Ty Gurley. <laughs> Sorry, well, uh, I'm just I'm just imagining you twerking out your big board. Yeah, yeah, twerking twerking with a big board. Yeah, that that should be a good that that get the site that that'll take the site's ratings straight to the ground. <laughs> know, It'll be over for turf show. I was singly I will single handedly diminish the site. <laughs> if, if if you if you had you twerking. There may be some females who are like, you know what? Okay, I'm oddly curious. You know, I'm oddly curious. <laughs> hey, Tyson, is that one the name of, two of the uh, of the new draft show? Twerking with the big board. Yeah, there it is. Oh yeah, tw- tw- the show. Twerking, twerking with Mycin. There you go. <laughs> Look, I, one of two things would happen. Either I'm gonna kill Tertio Times and no one will ever come back again, or I'm gonna break the internet. One of those two things. So let's hope for the latter. <laughs> Either way, it's probably not a good thing. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> At least the name of the show will be twerking the big board. It's right up there with defeation. <laughs> Which is when Jordan Clepper was interviewing someone on the Colbert or on the nightly show. Uh, with uh, with Trevor Noah and some some dude said the defeation of ISIS. Drake <laughs> was like defeation. Ever defeation. since <laughs> ever since then, defeation has become one of my favorite words. I try and use it wherever I can. Uh, <laughs> well, I was uh, I was defeation when I said twerking. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah, man, uh, I'll be back at it with Ram It Down Your Throat with Blake Grissack. I'll also be taking a look at <clears throat> maybe how decision-making within the Rams organization, not just at the front office level, but by everyone involved, will have a large say in the future of the Rams it, it, and that doesn't just include the launch of the new stadium. I think the hire of McVay is extremely important because if the Rams get this wrong, then they just have a history that's just, it's not good, man. It's going to be really difficult to sell personal seat licenses. It's going to be really yeah. difficult to sell season tickets. It's going to be really difficult to get people to pay what you're going to be asking when you build a new NFL cathedral in the middle of L.A., where the Los Angeles Chargers are going to be playing in the StubHub Center. will probably have lower ticket prices and, uh, you know, they may they may actually I know it's a Raiders town, but if you've only got a stadium that, that ask, is asking 40,000, you can get 37,000 in there strong and it can be loud in soccer yeah. stadiums with the way. I, I, I had the same thoughts when I heard where they were going to play. I said that stadium is going to be rocking. Small yeah, but rabid, but, you boys. Know, I've, I've seen games. I have seen games there. I went and saw. <clears throat> but we 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 bought tickets to go see NYFC uh, NYCFC uh, versus the LA Galaxy uh, back when we kind of knew Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard were going to be playing. But then the, all those signings for LA and New York happened with you know Andrea Pirlo and such, and 
our tickets that we bought for like 21 bucks a piece ended up going for like $597. I was like, guys, maybe we should just go get donuts and watch the game somewhere and make 500. <laughs> but ultimately we decided to go to the game and you know what? It was worth it. It was fun. And it, yeah. the stadium is extremely loud. It gets extremely loud. You're really, really, really close to the, to the pitch, the field. I mean, NFL teams are going to feel the fan base right there. And oftentimes, you know, if you're the chargers and you can drum it up, that's that's gonna there, it'll be something special there. It'll be something interesting to see. So, you know, all of the decision making that the Rams do is is gonna have a big role in how all of this plays out, especially with LA uh, now having two NFL teams for the first time in 20 years. So you can find that on the site. Don't forget to follow our producer uh, Scotty at Sports Speaks. That speaks is in talks, chats, you know, he speaks, she speaks. Yes, sir. The president. So uh, give him a follow. Uh, be sure to follow Mycin at Mighty or Mycin, uh, spelled M-I-S-O-N-E. And you can follow me at Turf Show Time, or excuse me, at Fight on Twist. And be sure to follow Turf Show Times. We will be back next week with... Obviously, way more looks at the draft. It's pretty much what it's going to be here now. And, you know, combine is set. Pro days are happening. East-West Shrine Games, Senior Bulls. It's just going to be draft, 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 draft. Maybe we'll have on a couple of players who could fall to the Rams. We'll bring them on and talk about their game. Maybe we'll get Darius Rogers. So stay tuned for that. And we will be back next time here on Turf Show Radio. SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams. Turf Show Times. We out. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.